0: This is not the PG version, I guess. That's okay. (laughs) We speak freely on Schmaltzy the Podcast.
1: From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. The heart of each Schmaltzy episode revisits a personal story told at a Jewish Food Society live event of the same name. I know it's hard to imagine when we're deep in this pandemic, but the live schmaltzes were always packed to the gills with guests sitting shoulder to shoulder. We wanted to figure out a way to bring these incredible stories to even more people. A few years later, with a little chutzpah, here we are, sharing schmaltzy with you. Pull up a front row seat to hear the original live stories from the stage. Then we'll go behind the tales with the storytellers for more. Today on Schmaltzy, the fifth generation owner of New York's famed Katz's Deli, Jake Dell. A native New Yorker, he officially joined the business in late 2009 and currently heads up all operations. Jake has an MBA from the NYU Stern School of Business and was named to both Zagat and Forbes 30 under 30 lists. His favorite meal is pastrami on rye, which of course he prepares himself, a side of latkes, and Dr. Brown's black cherry soda. In Jake's schmaltzy story, he's faced with the eternal question, what should I do with the rest of my life? Here's Jake from the Schmalti Stage, where he shared his story in front of 350 guests on the Lower East Side of Manhattan.
0: I come from a very long line of deli owners, which means that my family has smelled like salt and garlic for as long as I can remember. As a young kid, I had just about every birthday party in the restaurant, and at about age seven, I started working in the front handing out those famous tickets. A couple years after that, the restaurant bore witness to my official entrance into manhood, the bar mitzvah. The next time you come into the restaurant, take a look on the wall up uh, on the left-hand side, and you'll see my favorite neon sign. It says, Jake's bar mitzvah. (laughs) Soon after we got that neon sign, a waitress uh, went up to my father and asked him about, what's the deal with the new beer? He goes, what new beer? She goes, you know, the mitzvah beer from, from Jake's bar. age 13. Now I was a man. And I knew what I wanted to be. It was so obvious. My grandfather was a deli man. My father was a deli man. I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor so bad. I mean, I, I, that's really, that was my passion. So I did what every aspiring doctor does, and I worked really, really hard from middle school through the end of college, I took all the right classes. I became a varsity athlete. I ran college organizations and and enough of them to make sure that my application looked really good. I decided I was going to take a gap year and just study for the MCATs, fill out applications. So I graduated in June and moved into my grandfather's empty apartment, which had been vacant since he had passed away the year before. This was the same apartment down on the Lower East Side that we used to go and visit him for Sunday dinners, or just go and watch The prices Right. My uh, father and uncle agreed that I would help out in the restaurant a couple days a week. Uh, so that meant that I was going to do the exact same walk that he would have done every single day, going past the same rec center, the same high school right over there on Grand Inessitz, and Essex, and the same yentas arguing about the same things. I, I We could actually there 's a whole story in that about the arguments that they used to have too, but i, I probably won 't get into those over the next couple of months. My brain was in constant flux corn beef, chemistry, brisket, biology, catses and cats, eight to three in the restaurant, three to eight in the library, more work, more studying it was just a lot. I was still a machine, but now it seemed I had a dual focus and With my daily to-do list piled as high as a pastrami sandwich... See what I did there? (laughs) I woke up each day with a renewed and increased sense of energy that I couldn't quite put my finger on. After I had taken the exams, I could turn all my attention to the restaurant. I would focus on the shipping orders and the catering jobs and the 30,000 customers every week that were really hungry. (laughs) By January or February of that year, I started getting requests from schools. Uh, they, they were asking for extra essays or even interviews. I mean, this was it. Fifteen years of hard work were, they were paying off. I was going to be a doctor. I was, I was so excited, I, I couldn't believe it. But was something eating at me, something deep down that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Something my grandfather had said the year before had mysteriously creeped back in my brain. Which is weird because I didn't give it a second thought at the time and, and, quite frankly, hadn't thought about it since. But there it was. He was in his hospital room and there was that murmur that you see in every hospital. And So he motioned for me to come close and very quietly he whispered in my ear, Jake, why the fuck do you want to be a doctor? <laughs>
1: We'll hear the rest of the story in a bit, but first we have Jake here in the studio with us. Hi, Jake.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks
1: for being here. First things first, we need to talk about our last name. (laughs) You're Adele. I'm Adele. I don't think we're related.
0: No, I don't think we are. But who knows? You know, maybe somewhere in the family tree, we were Um, Udelowitzes at one point. So you know, because we're super Russian. As Ashkenazis would be, right?
1: Yeah. The lore in my family is that we were Deletsky. Mm. D E L E T S K Y.
0: I'm not entirely sure how we got to Dell for any of these <laughs> names. I feel like everyone just sort of made up a name when they got to El Salvador. Like, yeah, screw it. Let's cut half of this off. But I do get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do too. Are you related to Michael Dell? <laughs> And I'm like, no. Nah, do you do you really think Katz's would be this low tech if we were if that was like my uncle? Like, wouldn't we have computers everywhere or, or some sort of high tech ticket system?
1: We need to do something
0: so that another Dell can
1: become famous. So let's, so people don't use Michael Dell as a reference, but they use
0: one of us. There you go. So I let's like it. try it. This podcast will be the start of it.
1: <laughs> so if you're a Dell, as we've established, who and where are the Katz's?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, that was a family that came uh, also from Eastern Europe. Um, so there was the Iceland family, the Katz family, a couple of other families uh, that all lived on the Lower East Side, and like the entire neighborhood, you know, there were just delis everywhere, um, and this was no different than any other deli. It was no different than any other immigrant family at that time who were just trying to survive, just trying to feed their family. Um, so the Katz family, and there were. A bunch of other families involved as well, uh, the Tarowskis, uh, Maxteens. Um, and my family, my grandfather was partners with them. And over time, they left the business, and my father and uncle came into it, and here I am.
1: <laughs> the Dell behind the Katzes. That's
0: right. They're like, why don't you just change it to Dell's Deli? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great.
1: That doesn't really have, <laughs> even as a Dell, that doesn't have that a good horrible. ring to it. Yeah.
0: Better would be for me to switch my last name to Delhi, I think. But I I don't know. I'm pretty proud of that.
1: That's a nickname I get, and I don't (laughs) even own a deli.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, believe me. The amount of nicknames I've gotten, Prince of Pastrami, the King of Corned Beef, King of Kanisha I also got once. That was a weird one. I didn't like that one as much. I guess we could come up with a couple of other ones while we're here, too. President of Pastrami. All right, I'm sorry. We'll, I'll get
1: back. To, I'll get back to you on that. But now I see the challenge has been laid down, so I'm going to rise to that occasion okay. for sure. Back to your Schmaltzy story. Clearly, your grandfather's words were very meaningful. They stayed with you. What was your relationship like with him growing up?
0: We were very close. Um, he was always my hero. Um, early on, in you know, in elementary school. We would have to do these projects of, like, write something about your... Who's your hero and, what you know, tell about their life. And I would always pick my grandfather. We, we had a very close relationship. Um, I was his uh, oldest and for a while only grandkid. Um, so I think he liked me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, a lot about his life was fascinating and amazing. Uh, he was in a, a, grew up with nothing youngest of seven siblings, who father died young, mother was put in a TB ward. Uh, they were all sent to to orphanages. Uh, he was the last one pulled out because he was the strongest, despite being the youngest. So I always admired a lot about his life. He was just a strong character, strong-willed guy who never really took crap from anyone, but it was also very generous and he was very kind hearted and, and hard at the same time. And I don't know, I was always fascinated by him and obviously loved him very much.
1: Well, as we just heard, he so colorfully said to you, why the fuck do you want to be a doctor? So what was behind your decision to be a doctor at such a young age? Was there one moment, you know, where that became clear to you or it really solidified in your mind that this was your path and you wanted to be a doctor
0: yeah well first off he, he definitely didn't mince words uh, he wasn't <laughs> one to shy away from cursing so I was uh, sick when I was younger had some medical issues and and would have to go to the doctor and uh, my experience with medical professionals was often very negative there were a lot of uh, doctors who were jerks and um, for me, it became a, well. I want to help others. I want to, you know, I, I admire what they're doing and they're helping and they're they're doing amazing things. But they're such jerks about it. Like I I can do this and and not be be an asshole. So this is not the PG version, I guess. Huh?
1: That's okay. <laughs> I still want to talk about your grandfather, but I want to change gears just a little bit. When you were on your gap year, living in your grandfather's apartment taking that same walk to Katz's that he did, passing the same Yentas that he did. A lot was the same, as you mentioned in the story, but New York was clearly different. What do you think your grandfather would say about how New York has changed?
0: Uh, I think in many ways, he was not super nostalgic or, or stuck in the past on a lot of things, Um Part of the charm of New York is that it's constantly growing and evolving and changing. Um, you know, even when he moved down to the neighborhood in the 60s, it was because it was brand new buildings. You know, the, it's, it's – it's just think now, it feels like it was there forever. You know, the co-ops were there forever. But they really weren't. I mean, those were built in 1960. And he was living on 3rd and Avenue C at the time. And, and it was a big deal to move down to Grand Street. So he embraced – change in many ways. He embraced seeing some changes. Um, That's part of why we're New Yorkers. That's part of what we love is the chaotic energy and seeing things move. And obviously, it's a little different nowadays with what's happening in the world. But, you know, we love that density, that chaotic energy, that change, that growth. But at the same time, we also crave pockets of old or tradition or things that are emotional to us in some way. Do you feel like Katz's
1: is one of those pockets?
0: Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges in what I do is trying to balance the new and the old, right? Uh, I had to change the bathrooms a couple of years ago, but yet even making that change had to, was a delicate uh, balancing act. You know, you don't want to change it too much. You want you don't want to make it super modern, but you want to make it more accessible and more comfortable and so um yeah certainly we we do everything we can to preserve the tradition preserve the nostalgia so that when you walk in it's exactly the way you remember it the first time you were there whether it was with a grandparent or with a friend when you went to nyu or when you came here for a school trip or whatever it is that you always have that same experience visually you know through your nose through your mouth through everything it should feel exactly the same
1: Speaking of the same, these yentas that you mentioned in your story, you said there was, you know, a story about these neighborhood yentas, a story within a story. And, you know, as an aspiring yenta myself, I need to know a little bit more about that.
0: Well, okay. First off, an aspiring yenta? Yeah. Okay. All I'm right. not
1: quite there yet, but one day I could get there with enough <laughs> okay. practice. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. Touche. Um so you know, these these were this was this whole crew. They would take their lawn chairs out in the morning and sit up on the the stoops and every time you'd go downstairs as ah oh, hey Jake, blah blah blah, and they would always and then they would argue about like a car would pass by, one would say it was red, another one would say it was like brown, and then they would argue for forty-five minutes about it. And I loved every minute of it. I loved them. I love Everything about – I remember them from when I was a kid.
1: Was this in front of the co-ops or in front of Katz's?
0: (laughs) Mostly in front of the co-ops. Okay. Got it. I do remember one time I took the bus home and all of a sudden I just – I hear yelling in in the back of the bus and I'm like, oh, it's a crazy person because we're in New York and we're used to that sort of thing. But then I realized they were yelling my name. And they're coming closer and coming closer, and they're like, "You're Marty's grandson, aren't you?" And I was like, "Oh God, damn it! This this place, like, I he's everywhere."
1: You <laughs> <laughs> like, you had an angry mob like in the in the bus. Yeah,
0: it was. I mean, these are this is the Yenta world.
1: So when you confirmed that you were, then what
0: happened? And then he just said, "Oh, your grandfather was great. He was great. He's such a nice guy. He one time he gave me a hot dog, and I was like." Oh, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. Like, what? what okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs>
1: you're like, when, you're like, when's my stop? Yeah. Uh,
0: oh, look at that! I gotta go. I'm gonna run an errand so before I weird. get home. Yeah, this comes with the territory of being my grandfather's grandson.
1: When you were talking about the waitress at Katz's in your story, and about your bar mitzvah sign, and how she thought that it was assigned for a new beer. As I understand, many of your employees are not Jewish.
0: Yeah, it's a mix. So we've always employed people that live in the neighborhood. Um, And as the composition of the neighborhood changes, so too does our uh, workforce, uh, or employees rather. So um, she's been with us. She's still there, actually. She's been with us for more than 30 years. Um, So yeah, no, I still make fun of her to this day about... (laughs) About that, Jake's bar. Jake's bar um, is yeah.
1: is deli food universal at this point? Is it something that everyone knows about? And
0: yeah, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people know or think of deli food as bodega food. They confuse the two sometimes. True deli food uh, is definitely part of New York culture, and and you know, in many ways, it it's it's not just Jewish food; it's New York food, you know and when people try to recreate it outside of New York, they don't say Jewish deli, they say New York deli, because this is really the birthplace of the deli food tradition. You know, it comes from late 1800s, all of the Eastern European immigrants coming from the shtetls and bringing that curing and smoking techniques, but applying them to inexpensive cuts of meat that were available here, which were navels and briskets and tongues and things like that. That's what became known today as deli. And obviously, it was very different back then. There were a dime a dozen, kind of like a pizza shop today, or a bagel store. You saw them on every block. You saw them multiple on a block. Uh, now it's a little more rare, I guess. But we're fighting to preserve that tradition and to teach people that food tradition.
1: When you're not at Katz's and eating New York deli, you said that Sunday dinners at your grandfather's were a tradition. What was on the menu at those family Sunday dinners?
0: She's such a mix. Uh, you know, a lot of things that I I guess cuisine-wise, you could best classify it as Italian Jewish American hybrid. Pastas with like brisket in it, sort of. Or like
1: <laughs> So you couldn't get away from it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be
0: these <laughs> like weird concoctions that i i haven't really seen as like a, it, none of it was really traditional I, I think it was more just like them making it up
1: any one dish stand out or any highlight that you can remember
0: lasagnas sometimes i think they were just trying to fat me up <laughs> did it work <laughs> eh, it depends on the day <laughs> generally generally not okay they actually used to feed my grandpa, a different grandfather on the other side, but they used to feed him mashed potato sandwiches because he was too skinny. That's like the classic Jewish grandmother thing that's like, eat, you're so skinny, you got to eat something, you're all skin and bones. And then it's like, who the hell needs a mashed potato sandwich? That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: We're going to head back to your story from the schmaltzy stage, exactly as you're contemplating your grandfather's words from his hospital bed.
0: Sounds good. Let's do it. Over the next couple of months, that's all I could think about. I mean, there was just screaming at me, coming into the family business. But how could I abandon what I had devoted my entire life to? You know, I, I had always wanted to be a doctor. What would people think? What would my friends think? What would my family think? And 20 years down the road, what would I think? Would I regret that decision? Uh, I was really torn on the inside, and I was agonizing over this decision that I, I really didn't want to have to make. So I'd go into work, and I'd chat with regulars that I recognize and happily listen to their stories. We'd joke about a nearby table taking what was very clearly a first-ever bite of a first-ever pastrami sandwich, and we'd watch as their faces overcome with sheer joy and grease. <laughs> I remember very clearly one day there's this little old lady sitting up at the front of the restaurant, quietly nibbling on a corned beef sandwich. When I went up to see how she was doing, she started crying. She said, when I was a little girl, I used to come here every Sunday with my three sisters after spending all day on Delancey Street, sewing the clothes we had spent all week sewing. A corned beef sandwich was our reward but we could only ever afford one sandwich, so we'd split it into quarters, and we'd make it last. Well, now I'm 94 years old, and my sisters are all gone, but when I come into this place, I see their faces and I hear their voices like it was yesterday, and all I ever want is a, is a quarter of a corned beef sandwich. Well, I just, I lost it. I mean, there I am crying as I'm helping her cut up her sandwich into quarters. And, and it was in this that I realized the history and the tradition and the nostalgia of Katz's and of the restaurant were more than anything else I could do. It was more important than being a doctor. Soon after that, I had dinner with my parents to tell them about my decision. For 45 very intense minutes, my mother grilled me about every aspect of my f- completely incomplete plan. And, uh, you know, look, look, I've never been more nervous eating my favorite lasagna, but she was just question after question. Who do you want to be if not a doctor? What's your plan? Oh, my God. This was the tough, practical, Brooklyn-born woman that raised me at her absolute finest. Meanwhile, my father sat there very quiet, listening very intently to every word and just smiling ear to ear. And when he finally said something it was pure and simple, your grandfather would have wanted this. They were both right. Um, my plan was as fully formed as it needed to be in that moment because I needed to be a deli man. I no longer needed to be a doctor. One year of working with my father, one year of serving latkes and blinces and canelbours and, of course, pastrami, one year of schmoozing with regulars, One year of living in my grandfather's old apartment and one year of driving his old tank of a car, which was a gold Mercury Grand Marquis, black tie edition. One year and I was hooked. I embrace that I'm slowly becoming my grandfather. I embrace that I'm smelling like salt and garlic every day. My only hope is that one day my grandkid could be where I'm standing right now, talking to your grandkids about what tradition really means, and hopefully this story will go beyond me when I'm a distant memory as someone else's grandfather. Turns out all it took was one year of being a young Jewish deli man to realize I wanted to die an old Jewish deli man.
1: Thanks for sharing your story, Jake.
0: Yeah, that was a lot of fun.
1: Personally, I'm happy you took the pastrami route, so I know I can always cut the line.
0: (laughs) Just don't tell anyone else, especially not the listeners.
1: Got it. Your mom really grilled you on your decision to take over Katz's. It seemed like she needed some convincing. What does she think about your decision now?
0: Ooh, wow. Um, Quick, get her on the line. I'm sure she'll answer immediately. (laughs) um she's i think she's pretty happy with with the decision now and uh a lot of parents want what's best for their kids and that, or all parents want what's best for their kids and and that was the same thing that's where that came from was you know is this the best decision for you and shit uh, hopefully hopefully it was <laughs> i don't think we'd be doing a podcast if i was a doctor It'd be less interesting <laughs>
1: A lot less interesting.
0: (laughs) We're getting really derailed here. That's okay. We (laughs) We love talking about moms on Schmaltzy, of
1: course. What's your mom's name?
0: Uh, Her name's Diana. Diana, lovely woman.
1: Cool. What's your mom Diana's favorite thing on the menu?
0: I think brisket. The classic. I think she's a, a brisket lady. Brisket and ketchup, actually, which is like, yeah, that's like a old world thing too. I think. We're going to get into that later. Well, you would never put it on pastrami, but on brisket, there's more uh, leeway, but more generally, like, just don't fucking do it.
1: Let's save it. Katz's is famous
0: for the pastrami,
1: but is there a sleeper dish on the menu that's secretly your favorite?
0: Uh, That's a great question. Um, I love the latkes. To me, I think it's the best non-sandwich thing we do, but... Uh, as far as the meats go, there is a thing on our menu. Here we go. That just says combo sandwich. It's just any two meat together that you want. You could put it on top of each other, layer one on top of the other, or do it side by side so you have two halves of a sandwich. And that's where I think like people get the most creative. You know, I've seen some crazy, crazy combinations. Some good, some atrociously disgusting. Um, but I, I think at least... There's some flexibility in there for you as a customer to be like, you know, I want brisket and pastrami, which is a amazing combination. You could throw some turkey in the mix, some salami in the mix, uh, you know, dealer's choice.
1: Speaking of salami, when I visit Katz's, I always see that phrase plastered around. Send a salami to your boy in the army. What is that about? And also salami doesn't really seem like Jewish. It's uh, kosher. Like what's a salami about?
0: Yeah. So first off, um, if you say quickly and like a true New Yorker, it rhymes. Send a salami to your boy in the army. So (laughs) that slogan came around in World War II. At that time, one of the members of the Katz family had three sons uh, serving in the armed forces overseas. And grandma at that time was nervous. They weren't eating particularly well. Army rations, not exactly great. Food, and and as we all know, any Jewish grandmother is going to be nervous about how their grandkids are eating. So they figured out a way to send salamis, and we've been doing it ever since. Still, still to this day.
1: For a lot of people around the world, Katz's isn't only about the food. It's about that climactic scene from When Harry Met Sally. How did your family react when the movie came out, and how did it affect the restaurant?
0: So, um... The movie actually came out around the 100th anniversary of Katz's. So we had been around for a while and a lot of our regulars already knew us. You know, I, I, I think for a lot of people, they, they sort of have the assumption that, that it put us on the map. You know, it's it's not quite true. For some people, that is true, I guess. For, for some customers, they only come to recreate the scene or to sit in the table. Do, they, do people still come to do that? Well, not so much during COVID. Yes. but um, <laughs> Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah, uh, for sure. At least once a week. Some way more awkward than others. Um, <laughs> some, like, some just very, very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. When the movie first came out, if you look at the scene again, you'll notice nothing about it says cats's. And yet now it becomes such a common association. There was no immediate impact. It took about seven or eight years before we saw the first customer who was like, oh, that was from that movie, right? The place in the movie.
1: Do a lot of people still come in and say, like, I'll have what she's having?
0: All the time. Uh, Yeah. Some of us are better at laughing at that joke than others
1: i'm wondering if is there like an instagram account that like aggregates all of the people doing like their take on the on Um, when harry met sally i'm
0: sure if you know that's a great question i don't know we did have last summer a fake orgasm contest in the store in honor of the 30th anniversary of the movie so this is the family friendly version (laughs)
1: What the hell we That's talking a whole about? other different <laughs> show. Okay. <laughs> There's your outtake.
0: There you go. Uh.
1: Getting it back to the moms, what is the hardest part of being in a family business?
0: Uh, everything and nothing. Um, I think family business, when it goes great, is the greatest thing in the world. And when it goes bad, is the worst thing in the world. You know, being able to sit and eat lunch with my father and my uncle every day. It's amazing. It's amazing to have something that we can share, that we can talk about and and that I wouldn't have if I were a doctor, for example, is truly special and something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. But it also means that when you get into a disagreement <laughs> and then you have to sit at the dinner table <laughs> together, uh, it, it things can spill over in either direction, right? So it can come from home to work or from work to home. And so it's tricky sometimes to separate those things you know, if you had a disagreement about something at work and now you're screaming at each other at the dinner table, it's not fair to the other people that are sitting around the table. So, you know, I think about any time you've had a fight with a parent. Well, what if that you worked with that parent? I think a lot of people can imagine how difficult it can be at home. And, and that's true for any family business, not specific to a restaurant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I- I can't imagine what that would be like. (laughs) I I see why that could be challenging. But, you know, as the next generation coming in, I would assume that you are bringing new ideas to the table, so to speak, about how you can move forward, how you can modernize, how you can update. Um, Are those ever met with, like, pushback from the older generations in your family?
0: Uh, Yes, uh, I wouldn't say it's not necessarily pushback so much as it is, you know, challenging the idea to make sure that it's a sound idea, right? And and trying to poke holes in it just to try and highlight things that I may not have thought of, um, which I think is a really important distinction. You know, they're really amazing about letting me do what I think is really right for the store a couple of years ago we built our smokehouse a little differently and we we changed up certain things and that have now allowed us to survive through this pandemic in in certain ways that we may not have been able to otherwise and it's testament to them being able to say you know I trust you and that's really hard in any family business for an older generation to say I trust you even if you know they may not yeah
1: with everything happening today you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic that I heard, don't yeah, think, yeah. I don't know if you're aware. <laughs>
0: yeah. the, I heard it on the news. I
1: yeah, know. it's a little thing, <laughs> which we don't think is going to be over anytime relatively soon. Um, you know, what are some other ways that you've had to like adjust or recalibrate?
0: Every way, every way imaginable, every aspect of the business has to be analyzed and rethought and made sure it's done efficiently, right? It's, it's, Recognizing that third-party deliveries are not the future, um, and that we need to do those things ourselves, um, it's boosting our online sales for nationwide shipping, uh, encouraging people to go to our website as opposed to going elsewhere. Um, it's making sure that people don't forget about you when you're when they're not able to easily come to you, right? And that's a huge challenge. But then also operationally, it's it's supply chain issues. Everywhere. I mean not just in the meat supply but even something as simple as like like aprons are a challenge right now or, or pickling salts are a challenge. So yeah, there's all these moving parts that we have to really think about and, and watch.
1: Are you able to look beyond that a little bit and or a lot and think about like what the next 100 years of cats is looks like?
0: Yeah, I'm – One of the weird uh, people in this world that have not just like a six-month plan, but also a one-year, a three-year, a five-year, a 10-year, a 50-year plan.
1: Um, Is that like on a Google Doc, or where do you (laughs) keep
0: those? (laughs) No, even weirder, pencil and paper. Um, I also do all my inventory by hand still on a clipboard, which clearly is not the most efficient way to do that. And I'm aware, but I love it. So... You know, it's simultaneously trying to adapt to the challenges of the day and the week during a pandemic, but also recognizing that there is medium and long-term things that we're going to have to look at. And, and some things we just don't know. I've been lucky enough to be asked to this panel that that's talking with the mayor's office and um, trying to figure out some of the reopening strategies and things like that um, early on in the pandemic. And You know, no one necessarily knows where the path of this goes. No one knows what we're doing with this, which makes business planning that much harder.
1: As a New Yorker, I I miss going to restaurants. Don't we all? Needless to say. It's a huge part of our lives in a way that maybe we never realized before we weren't able to go to them. You know, thinking about the sisters in your story like how much of a tradition it was for them to go to Katz's every week and at 94 years old it's still something that she wanted to do and keep going with how do you think about restaurants like do you think about them as like our third place that we go to something that's not work that's not home
0: yeah i think food is compassion right food is love it's a restaurants give that love out And they give a place where people can love each other, where family and friends can catch up and they can go together and be together. I see it every day uh, when you see people that haven't seen each other in a long time or people who see each other every week in the store. And and regardless, it's the same sentiment that's there. Uh, And it doesn't matter where they're from, who they are. It's universal.
1: What are some of the other places that you like to eat in the city or hang out?
0: It's impossible to narrow down. There's so many good restaurants in this city. Oh, my God. Um, One of my favorite places is Bar Pity. I could eat that, like, all day, every day.
1: One last question. As a still young-ish deli man, we need to know, is there a right and a wrong way to eat a pastrami sandwich? Uh,
0: Yes, there is uh, the right way with mustard on rye. The mustard pops. It makes all the flavors pop. The cori- It complements the coriander well. It's got a little bit of a kick to it, so you're cutting through some of that fat. Uh, you got this kind of just juicy thing happening, great flavors with it. Mayo will kill it. You, you don't need more fat on top of a pastrami. If you ask nicely after I've given you shit, then yes, I will give you mayo. Because ultimately, I want you to enjoy yourself, even if I think you're wrong. Um, You know, you're entitled to, to your wrong opinion.
1: Hear that, everyone? It's mustard on rye.
0: Yeah. If you want to put mayo on something... Put it on turkey. I I get that. I don't hate mayo. Let me be. Let me also be clear here. <laughs> this, this is a is PSA not, from Jake. Yeah, He's not
1: anti mayo. This is
0: not a campaign against mayo. I, I I don't hate mayo. In fact, I like mayo. I just think there's a time and a place for it. And that time and that place is not pastrami at Katz's.
1: There you go, everyone. You know what to do. Head over to Katz's <laughs> and order correctly. Jake, really, we can't thank you enough. I learned a lot and. I can't wait to get into a sandwich soon.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. (laughs) Very weird and kind of derailed us a couple times. My apologies there, but I had a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) It wouldn't be fun if we just stuck to the script. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care. For Katz's secret pastrami recipe, go to jewishfoodsociety.org slash, just kidding, we don't have it yet. Schmalzi is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in New York City. We want to hear from our listeners all around the world. Send us your thoughts, comments, questions, and even your kvetching. Just record a voice memo right on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org so we can share it right here. Also, we're new. Be a mensch and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmaltzy is produced and edited by Elon Benatar. Our executive producer is Nama Sheffi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell.